You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Hi. 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 Hi there. So good to see you. Uh, okay, so we're going to be in Nehemiah. We've, we've been there all summer. Nehemiah chapter 11. Grab a Bible. If you don't have one, we do have some in the rows with you if you, um, if you need one. Um, but before we get started, um, I grew up in suburbia land. Okay, I wish I could show you a picture of my dad. Um, some of you have met my dad. He's a smaller version of me with much whiter hair um, currently. Uh, I might catch up to him. We'll, we'll see. He actually went fully gray by the time he was like 35 years old, like fully gray. And, uh, and he was like gray, white-haired, and then all of a sudden my mom and my, uh, my sister had this smart idea to dye his hair. And so they dyed his hair, and it turned out all kinds of horrible. And he still had gray, white eyebrows and this dark brown hair, and it was horrible. It was uh, something that burned into my, into my skull. Um, there are many different things that, uh, growing up in suburbia land, um, many different things that are benefits, but um, I can't remember any of them. They're actually quite really, uh, it's, a, it's a bad place to live. Everybody's house looks the same, everybody does the same thing, everybody drives their cars, they all, all drive the same cars, and, and everybody mows their lawn at 10 a.m. on Saturday, okay? This is what happens in suburbia land. My father decided that uh, I don't know I don't know how he got this, but uh, he always mowed the lawn in penny loafers. Who does not know what penny loafers are? Okay, there's like two of you. Yeah, they're these these uh, leather shoes that you stick pennies in the front. I have no or nickels. If you want to be a saver, good job, Stefan. Yeah, um, I don't know why. I mean, I think it's because they didn't get grass all over them or something like that. But okay, he didn't just mow the lawn in penny loafers. He also mowed the lawn in uh, running shorts. You know, the kind that are slit all the way up the side. And my dad has hairless legs. Um, they're. Absolutely smooth. I don't know what happened to him, but he also never wore a shirt. And so this was the way my dad mowed the lawn. Okay? And so my friends would drive by on Saturday, and they'd honk and whistle at my dad. And then on Monday morning, they'd come and they'd be like, Hey, Brian, saw your dad walking around the lawn in his underwear again. And I'd be like, Thanks, guys. It's so good. But that was, uh, that's, that's, I, mean, I have many, many stories about my dad in suburbia land. Uh, one day he was mowing the lawn in his uh, slit shorts and no shirt and his penny loafers. And uh, as he was mowing the lawn, some kid came and did a, uh, he skidded out in his front lawn and ripped up a whole front chunk of the lawn. Okay. As my dad was out there, he immediately dropped the lawnmower and took off after the kid. <laughs> now my dad um, is I'm a fairly big guy, but he used to be a, he used to be a marathon runner. And uh, he took off after that kid, and I know he could have caught the kid, but he stayed right behind him the whole way. And the kid was screaming, going, Oh my goodness, this guy is like after me! And my dad's just running, going, You kid, he's running after him. And he runs all the way up the block, chases him the whole way down the block. And this kid never showed up on their lawn again. And that's my dad. My dad, additionally, he... Um, uh, he uh, there was a, a, a little bit of a time where all of a sudden we would just lose our mailbox. One night, like, the mailbox would be knocked over. And then my dad would put another mailbox up. And then two days later, the mailbox knocked over again. Dad would put another mailbox up. Two days later, mailbox is knocked over again. Finally, he digs a six-foot hole and puts a bunch of cement and a steel pipe and puts another, uh, and puts another, because that's my dad. He's going to go extreme. He's an engineer, so those of you guys, just watch out. Um, and uh, so he puts the six-foot hole in the ground, steel pipe, puts the, um, puts the, 
the mailbox on top of it, and a few days later we see car parts scattered everywhere. <laughs> and the mailbox just kind of tipped over a little bit. And my dad had this super satisfied grin on his face. <laughs> super satisfied grin. I mean, like all day he had permagrin. It was fantastic. <clears throat> I grew up in the same hole my entire life. Um, I grew up, I, we, we never moved. My dad built the house with his hands, with his two hands. He only contracted out a few things like plumbing, but he did the electrical work and he built his house with some friends and, and, uh, and it's why the, I don't even, I don't know why the house is still standing, but he's a, he's a, he, he's a good builder actually. He was a carpenter by trade initially, then went into the fire, uh, was a firefighter and then fought nuclear fires of all things. So, but he built our house with, with his bare hands and he built it before I was born. And so I was born in that house, I was born in hospital and brought back to the house and then um, and and they still live there to this day they still live there I never moved I married a lady uh, 18 years ago today it's our anniversary today Put up. Yeah. All right. Good job making it, Laura. Um, anyway, so she, uh, I married a woman who moved. How many times did you move when you were? Trying to count. Like, like addresses. No, no, no. You just you as a child. Addresses. Yeah, addresses. As a child. As a child before we met. I don't know, but after we met, I know. Okay. Well, then never mind. She moved a lot <laughs> as a child. Today, um, we're going to talk a little bit about where you're from, about where you live, and how it actually impacts you. Now, I grew up in suburbia land with this weird dad who like chased people down the street. I find out that I have some of those tendencies. Okay, I have not yet chased a weird kid down the street, but I have chased my kids down the street. No, I'm just kidding. I haven't chased them down the street. Um, but uh, where you come from really makes a big difference. It actually leaves a huge impact on who you are, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But before we do, I would like to find out... Uh, who here has moved the most? Think of all of the addresses and count them. Okay, think of all the addresses and count them, and we're going to compete. Okay, was what? Sure, dorm rooms count. Yeah, why not? Right. Although maybe we should just call it college because you can move from dorm room to dorm room to dorm room, especially if you're a jerk of a roommate. Right. Um, so maybe we should just count college. Although I had one house in college too, so I don't know, whatever. You figure it out. We'll let you cheat if you need to. But um, think of all the addresses, okay? You got it? You count them up? You got your number? Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay, we're going to have everybody stick their arm up in the air. Everybody put an arm up in there. One hand, okay? Um, if you have moved, let's just let's just cut out a whole bunch of them because I don't want you holding up your arms forever because I'm starting to catch the whiff. But uh, let's say more than seven times. Keep your hand up. If you've moved more than seven times, seven different addresses. Wow! Did you guys? Who here's moved more than twelve times? Keep your hands up. Wow, oh, that cut out a lot. Man, now I really want to know. Okay, 12 times. Who here has moved more than 14 times? Keep your hands. 14 addresses. Keep your hands up. Wow. Keep it up. Keep it up. How about 17 times? 17? 17. 17. How about 20? Wow. How about 22? Times. Is there a <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you can count every port. Yeah. <laughs> How about 25 times? What do you got, Laura? 23. 23 addresses. Anybody beating there? Okay. Now, who here is only, who here's never moved? Raise your hand if you've lived in the same address. 
Kyle. Okay, so, wow, that's awesome. Um, I got some prizes for you guys. So, Kyle, you can come on up here because you truly have roots. <laughs> got some... Got him some rip here. There you go. Way to not do anything. Congratulations. And for the one who has moved the most, because she spends a lot of time in a vehicle, some air fresheners. Laura, here you go. It's apple cinnamon. That might be a good one. It's fine. I know, she does need one. Okay. Um, where you are from, as humans, where you're from really, really makes a huge difference. We have a wonderful ministry here called Open. Right, uh, headed up by Vanessa Perigo. And if you haven't been a part of Open, they are currently offering Filipino classes, as well as eventually maybe some other languages that are coming on board. Yes? Yeah, she's raising her eyebrows up and down because that's where she's from, and that's how she says yes. She's also staring at Eunice because... Never mind. We're not going to put Eunice on the spot. Yep. Um, but there are some uh, some language classes you can take. Additionally, there are multiple cultures that gather that you can learn from and, and learn about and serve them and help them. But did you know, this is interesting. People that gather at Open, the only thing that they have in common is that they're not from here. Basically. Now, is it a powerful thing to not be from here, Vanessa? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Um, not being from here and living here can be very, very difficult. How long have you been here, Vanessa? Uh, ten years in September. Ten years in September. Yep, ten years in September. Sometimes Vanessa still gets lost in conversation if we're using idioms or um, or, or things that uh, idioms are <laughs> idioms are things that uh, we say. They're local colloquialisms. They're what's that? I don't know what you don't even know what an idiom is, right? Yeah. Okay. That's no. She knows what an idiom is. She didn't know what penny, you knew what penny lovers were? Okay, yeah, no, yep. So sometimes she gets lost in conversation. And because we have this thing that our language actually comes from here, our, our meaning, the things we're talking about comes from where we come from. And if you want proof of this, here we go. Um, when you were growing up, what did you call the thing in the hallway of school that you pushed the button and water came out and then you stuck your tongue on it? Wait, 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 wait. Somebody said it over here. Okay. Eileen, yes, and Wendy, uh, you guys are from the good land. What did you call it? A bubbler. It's called a bubbler. What did all the rest of you people call it? Water fountain. Water fountain. Okay. 98% of the United States calls it a water fountain. Wisconsin calls it a bubbler. Yes. The state of Wisconsin calls it a bubbler. Okay. That's because the product that was sold by the Kohler company in Kohler, Wisconsin was called a bubbler. And just like Kleenex, right? That's not a Kleenex, it's a facial tissue, but you call it a Kleenex. We call it a bubbler. Okay, here's some more examples. Um, that sticky uh, brown substance that's sweet that you make out of like boiling sugar. Um, no, not maple syrup. <laughs> the resident Canadian. Maple syrup, I know this one. Ooh. No, the other one that you put in like Snickers and stuff like that starts with a C. Oh, wow, okay. Hey, wait, what was that? Caramel. Caramel? What is it? Caramel. Caramel. Same word. Caramel, 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 carbon, camel. I don't know. Okay, now, uh, what do you call something that is uh, not only just across the street, but the other direction, like armadillos is from here? What do you call it? Say, see, Stefan's trying to straddle two different things. You have some kitty corner. I heard some catty corner. 
And there's also Diag or Cattywampus. I don't know if you've ever heard that one before, but there's like entire sections of Wyoming that call it Cattywampus. Just wanted to let you know that. Um, so if you're talking to somebody and they're like, you know that place Cattywampus over there? It's not going to make any sense. They're going to be like talking gibberish, right? Okay, how about uh, when somebody puts all their garbage out on tables in front of their house and then puts up a sign that says for sale? What do you call that? Wait. Yard sale. Yard sale, rummage sale, garage sale. There are distinct differences in any part of the country. You're going to be like, rummage sale, garage sale. You want to go yard sailing? What? Okay. Uh, one last thing. Uh, these little uh, clawed things that float in creeks or cricks, depending on if they're from Wisconsin. Crawdad, crawfish, crayfish, and crawdaddies. There are, and what? Mud bugs, apparently. I think, Will, is that an Ohio thing? It's, it's Mississippi. Okay, well, Mississippi doesn't count, so it's fine. <laughs> These things are simple illustrations of the fact that actually where you come from um, puts like even language and identity deep within you. Um, when we went to the Philippines, we learned about all kinds of cultural things. When, when we came to Rapid City, we had to learn about all kinds of cultural things. When I went to Miles City, uh, when I did ministry in Miles City, Montana, at one point in time, we decided to have a, what do we call it, a cookout, right? We called it a cookout. A cookout is a barbecue, but nobody knew what we were doing. We invited them to a cookout. They're like, I'm not, what? Well, I'm not coming to that. What is, what are you, are you like, is it like a cooking competition? What's going on? So there are, there are certain things, whether they're small or whether they're astronomically big, that God actually places inside of us by putting us in an environment, by putting us where we live. Biblically, where we live is an incredibly important thing. It's an incredibly important thing. There's so much that the Bible actually has to say about our lives, about the area, uh, so much about where we live and how that communicates to us, right? At the end of time, at some point in time, gathered around the throne is going to be every tribe and tongue and nation, right? God doesn't get rid of the distinctions of our tribes and our tongues and our nations. He actually unifies them in this beautiful this beautiful unity of diversity. That's his goal of the gospel. The goal of the gospel at some point in time is as this all falls, falls together, as God um, gets his purposes and or put, places his purposes forward, moves his purposes forward, what happens is every tribe and tongue and nation is gathered together. See, God has historically been in the business too, if you think about the story of the Old Testament, has been historically in the business of moving people around. Starts off initially calling Abraham, and he says, leave that land and come to the land that I will show you. And then the storyline continues. God's moving people around, bringing them to new lands and new locations, watching them as they wander, walking with them as they walk around um, and, and find their promised land. We even see, as, uh, as uh, Eugene Peterson in the message says, we see that Jesus leaves his neighborhood and comes and moves into our neighborhood, takes up residency among us. Jesus left his home and came to our home and spoke our language and took on our culture and took on our, our, took on our humanity in order to communicate who God is. That's a missionary thing. It's a culmination of the story of God's logistical system as he's moving things around. It's a huge story. 
It's a huge story of moving people around and declare his door, declare his glory. Excuse me. Now, speaking of the story of the Old Testament, we have to do our thing as we launch into Nehemiah. So uh, you will find on your bulletin there's a little icon list on the side there, and we're reminding you each and every day, uh, each and every Sunday this summer, of the great storyline of Scripture. And uh, we've been having, of course, um, we've been doing our. Uh, we're trying to take a little lesson from VBS here, so we got some hand motions that go along with these icons in order to get you to remember. Um, so the way that the story goes is God starts off with, and you'll see the top icon, God starts off with creation, right? So you got to do this with me, jazz hands, creation. God creates everything. But then everything falls into disrepair. So you got creation and you've got fall. It falls into disrepair. It falls into chaos. God creates uh, you moving chaos out of order, or excuse me, bringing order out of chaos, and then humanity sins and it falls into chaos. Okay, so there's creation, then there's fall. And then God takes Abraham and he calls him and he says, I'm going to make you many nations, right? So this is the next stop, stopping point. Many nations. And nations are going to be like the stars of the universe. That's why we're doing this whole thing. So make people, uh, make uh, Abraham into the people of many nations. But then he doesn't just stop with nations. He says, okay, this nation actually is going to start off in captivity. How do we go? Captivity, bondage, right? It's going to start off in captivity. And so as he calls the nation up, he brings them into captivity in kind of an incubation time. And then, he causes them to exit. It's the exodus, right? He moves them out by calling them to come worship on a mountain. He gives them the law and he brings them into an exodus. But then they wander around, okay? Then they wander around the the desert and looking for the promised land. They wander around. Remember, we do this with the whole hand and not the finger because that looks weird. Whole hand, okay? So they wander around. They go over kitty corner and catty corner everywhere. Um, but then, as they uh, as they as they wander around, they come into the promised land, right? They come into the promised land, and then in the promised land, God sets up for them a system of judges, and the judges come in as little mini saviors to declare to them the fact that God will save them, and sin will overtake them. As sin overtakes them, God will save them. That's the judges, and then they get sick of the judges, and the Israelites demand that they would have a king, and so they enter into the system of the kings or the moose, depending on if you're Jonas or not, right? So the system of the king. And then um, in the kings, they disobey. Uh, they, they follow the kings, disobey God, and God says, "You are going out of here. You're going to be. Eg- we're going to exile you. We're going to get you out of here." And eventually, God brings them back, which is the return. Okay, so that's the plot line of Scripture. That's where we come to when we get to Nehemiah. This is what God has done. And if you haven't seen it, right? You got creation and fall, and then you got nations, and then from that moment on, there's this movement everywhere. There's this this movement of people to here, and people to there, and people to here. And people out of there, and, and we're going to bring in a people group here, and, and they're going to subject you, and then a judge is going to save you, and there's going to be all this movement. And why does God do that? Well, that's what we're going to look at today, this movement, and why God does that. So Nehemiah chapter 11 is where we're going to be. And... This is one of those, uh, we're getting to the end of the book of Nehemiah, and if you are already looking ahead, you'll realize that there are gigantic lists of names. I may or may, I, I will not read most of the names. Um, I did tell you last week that the best way to read the names is to make sure to drop into your southern drawl, because um, it works really, really well. <laughs> Now, chapter 11. Now, the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten to live in Jerusalem the holy city, 
while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commanded, commended all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. They are the provincial leaders who settled in Jerusalem. Now some, now some Israelites, priests, Levites, temple servants, and descendants of Solomon's servants lived in the towns of Judah, each, of his, each on his own property in the various towns, while other people from both Judah and Benjamin lived in Jerusalem. And then this is the part where you drop into your southern draw, right? So the Ahiah, son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, right? So that it works really well. It kind of flows off the tongue a little bit more. And there's this whole list, and, and I really encourage you actually to read this list, because in here you're going to find some information. Like if you scan all the way down to verse 22, uh, the chief officer of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi, son of Bani, son of Hashbiah, the son of Matani, the son of Micah. Uzi was one of Asaph's descendants who were the singers responsible for the service of the house of God. The singers were under the king's orders, which regulated their daily activity. And what you'd see there is you see in there a, a cultural thing that we don't really get. Basically, the cultural thing is if you're born into this family, right, you were born into leading music. Now, we actually see that happen in an, in an individualized society. We look at individuals and we loft them up based on their singing talent. This was, in their culture, if you were born into a certain family, you were born with the burden to carry the burden of leadership of singing and leading people. It's a very interesting cultural thing. Not my point today, though. Where I want to focus on, where I want to talk about is just the first couple of verses of verse of chapter 11. Okay, now the leaders of the people settle in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten to live in Jerusalem. Now, and then right after that, you get this verse in verse 2. The people commended all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. And, and what's happening here is they're trying to populate the city. They're trying to populate the city. And there are certain men who are chosen from each tribe. And they're chosen by casting lots. Yet there are also a group of men who volunteer to go live in Jerusalem as well. They volunteer to go live in Jerusalem as well. And this got me thinking about um, about this whole concept of where we're from really matters, but also where we're headed really, really matters. And God is in the process of calling people from one region to another region, to move them from one place to another place. And so what I'm seeing here is I'm actually seeing two types of, uh, two types of neighbors. He's building a neighborhood. God is building a neighborhood by choosing certain people and other people who are volunteering to come and live in that neighborhood. And as we look at these neighbors, what I want you to see is I want you to see a couple of different things. I'm going to point these things out, and then uh, and then we're going to build some mission application off of this, okay? So the first thing you see in here is you see chosen neighbors. These are the ones who were chosen by casting lots. Now, um, this is an incredibly interesting thing, because basically, what are they doing? A one out of every ten, what is that? When you say one out of every ten, what percentage is that? Ten percent. What else do we know in Scripture that is giving ten percent? Tithing. This is an interesting thing. This is actually a tithing of people. This is a tithing of people is what's happening here. A tenthing of the people. And they're given to the service of the Lord to live in Jerusalem. Basically, they're giving a tithe of their families to the welfare of the city. And I don't know if you've thought about that before, but actually, interesting thing is, this still happens. I don't know if you know this or not. This is what I would call the Old Testament version of mission sending. Okay, New, New Testament churches are still called to tithe their best and their brightest. Unfortunately, what happens is we raise up people, we, we raise up leaders, we, we, we see people who are, uh, have a heart for Jesus and have a heart for mission and have a skill in evangelism or skill in preaching or whatever, and we want to keep them. We want to hold on to them. 
We look at the the vessel of right. We're like, oh no 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 no. They got to stay here because they're helping us. They're helping us build this man. They're helping to build a church. They're doing they're doing their best. No, actually, the Old Testament is kind of this predecessor to the New Testament in which we're called to tithe. We're called to give away our people. We're, we're called to raise up, train up, and send out missionaries. The people who are the most faithful, the most impactful, the most giving, the most service-oriented, the most sacrificial people are very often actually the people who God ends up calling away. And it's my belief that the New Testament church needs to be on in step with that instead of resisting it and waiting for God to take from us the things that we are holding on to. We need to pre... We need to step alongside of that, join God in that, and give a tenth of our people, or give, not necessarily a tenth, just give people away to the goodness of what God has for them. Now, this process of casting lots, it's an interesting one. I've done a little bit of research on it. Nobody really knows what a lot is. Um, it could have been bone, it could have been um, pieces of rock, it could have been dice, it could have been all kinds of stuff. We actually don't, nobody knows what it is. It could have been, I don't know, yeah, it could have been all kinds of stuff. Some people say they're like wooden like dice things, they're like coins. But basically the idea here is it's the equivalent of flipping a coin. Casting a lot is the equivalent in our society of flipping a coin. Now this is incredibly interesting because I think in, in the Old Testament God not only allows but sometimes commands the casting of lots to determine His will. And some people see this as like divination or like witchcraft or sorcery or some sort of weird numerology. Here's what I think it is. I think this is God saying, it doesn't matter how you choose, I'll work with anything. I think that's what God's saying with the casting. Well, I don't care who you choose, I'll work with anything. Just go for it. The people of Israel cast lots, they choose who to tithe and they rejoice along the way. And so you have these chosen, sent neighbors. These ones whom God has said, you know what? Because of this casting of lots, I don't care who you give me, but you're giving me some, and so here we go, I'm taking these guys. But then there's this distinction in verse 2, where he says the people also commended all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. So not only do we have these chosen few, but we also have some willful wanderers. These people who have this desire to go live in Jerusalem, the city of God. These are the people who, because of whatever reason, actually, because of whatever reason, they decide to go live in the, the city that has God's heart as a big piece, it has a big, big piece of God's heart. These people are those who are kind of moved to move. Okay? And it could be a lot of different circumstances. They could be the ones because of, it could be because of God's calling and saying, hey, Jerusalem, it's this place. Or it could, could be because of a job. could be because of, like, they see the opportunity. People are moving in. If people move in, I have opportunity to sell my goods or whatever, right? They, they could be moving in in order to help family, in order to help friends, in order to be around people. Whatever reason, it doesn't matter. They volunteer to go into Jerusalem. They volunteer to go into Jerusalem. And unlike the ones who have been chosen by Lot, these people actually have a leg up. They are the ones who have already embraced the city of Jerusalem. Can you imagine being chosen by Lot and then having to choose to embrace the people? I think that video highlighted it, right? Like chosen to go to Germany. All of a sudden you've got to go, man, you've got to give me a love for the Germans. You've got to give me that. That's where the, the chosen ones are. But these, these willful wanderers, they have already, their heart has already embraced Jerusalem. And they're walking in there. And it's interesting to note that these people still exist today, of course. And they can be two sorts. They can be the accidental willful wanderers. They're the ones who they seek to just kind of move about. Like I said, maybe they're following a job. Maybe they're following college. Like they're going to Jerusalem for some education or whatever. Like they're going there for some infrastructure. 
these are the people that we see today that are moving around and are being moved around. Like you, mine students, you've come to you've come to Rapid City, and you've done that kind of accidentally. I mean, you you chose right to come here for your degree, but somehow accidentally you landed here amongst these people, and that's a beautiful thing. But then there's also these kind of um, these kind of burdened willful wanderers. They're the ones who God like puts kind of a a longing for a city or a land inside of them, a longing for the Black Hills. Just want to go be amongst the Black Hills. Some people who, uh, some of you college students, just to relate with you, some people who are from here move to Brookings to go to South Dakota State. Right? They go, oh man, I hate this place. Why? Because it's flat. And they have this longing for a land that looks a certain way because they were from here. These willful wanderers are actually, unfortunately, far fewer in our world um, these days than they were in the past. Um, People aren't, uh, for whatever reason, yeah, we have a little bit more transient society, but I don't know if people are willfully moving places as much as they're being pushed around. It should come as no secret to you, though, that uh, I've spent the last six years hammering on one particular point, and that's to train you as missionaries. So I want to help you try to see how this actually impacts your life. Like, okay, this is great information that people are are moved around for certain reasons. But how does this actually impact who you are? Okay, because of all this, I would like you to know a couple of things about God and about His Scripture. We're going to read a few other Scriptures here along the way, but you've got to know a couple of facts. Fact number one is simply this. You have been chosen to dwell here. You've been placed here by God. You, for whatever reason, I don't know God's reasons, but you have been placed in the neighborhoods, in the jobs, in the cities, and in the place. You have been placed here by God Almighty. You may have made a choice to be here. You may have made... But have you ever made a choice and had God slam the door in your face? I have. Have you ever had a, made a choice and tried to walk into something and God said no and He stopped you dead in your tracks? Well, for some reason or another, He has allowed you to be here. For some reason or another, He has arranged things so that you are here. And now we get this simple choice of either partnering with that or begging God to move us, I guess, is the other option there. You know, the book of Acts, if you turn over there, Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 28, it's all the way in the back of your Bible. It says this incredibly interesting statement here in the book of Acts. This is Paul. He's heading into um, he's heading into Athens. He's heading into a, a place where people don't really know who God is. And he's trying to describe to people who don't know who God is, who God is. And he starts off in verse 24 saying, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And He is not served by human hands as if He needed anything because He Himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man He made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And He determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are His offspring. That's a bold 
beautiful statement. And I don't know if you, like, I mean, if it's in the Bible, we have to really try to get our heart around this. And here's the deal. What God is saying here, what Paul is saying here and illustrating about who God is and the Holy Spirit's illuminating this to us in the Scripture, what he's saying is, God makes sure that every place you live is the exact place you are called to live. And I don't know how God does that. But He does. You have been chosen to dwell here. This is a powerful statement about your life. God has allowed you and orchestrated you to be here right now. The, the you, the everything that you are, all of your skills, all of your abilities, all your strengths, all your spiritual gifts, God has allowed you to be here. And it says even, even for a reason, so that men who are far from God might seek their way to Him. They might find their way to Him. That's why He's placed you here. But because of this, we also have to wrestle with fact number two. You now get the choice. You now get a choice. You can choose to live here either for or against that purpose. Either for or against that purpose. Okay? And here's, there's, there's four different ways that you can embrace this whole thing. And there's, there's four different choices we have when it comes to knowing that God has placed us here. We can live either of this city. Okay? You can live of this place, of this world. When you live of this place, what it is is you can look at your life simply and say that I'm going to live like everyone else. I'm going to be a part of this city. I'm going to take on all of this culture. I'm going to immerse myself into the city so that nobody can tell a distinction between me and them. Or you can live against this city or against this place. You can look at your life and simply say I am for Jesus and therefore it's my job to stand against this place. And so I will remove myself and I will cloister myself in my four walls and I will gather myself with everybody else who's going to live against this city and we're going to go out on the street corners and we're going to tell this city how wrong it is. So you can live for this city or you can live against this city. Excuse me, of this city or against this city. But you also can live for this city. You can look at your life and realize that Jesus called you to better this place, to better this city, to live for its betterment, to live for the betterment of your fellow man, to fight for justice and to fight for peace and to fight for, um, to, to create peace, to help the poor, to work with the weak and the needy. You can spend your whole life trying to clean this place up. Um, some of you have spent your whole life trying to clean this place up. Is it getting any cleaner? Nope. So we've got these three options. We can live of this city with no distinction of our faith and our culture. We can live against this city where we have complete distinction and we're rallying, we're railing against the city. We can live for this city where our whole goal is to create peace. Well, here's, I think, the biblical idea here is to live for the nations in this city. To live for the nations in this city. See, if God has moved you here and has called you to live here, do you not know that God has called your neighbor here, even if your neighbor's cat lady? Or if your neighbor's dog lady like my neighbor is? Dog and weed lady. Whatever. That's God has called you here and He has moved people to within your proximity. Why? Because they are seeking Him and He's moved you there so that maybe, perhaps, if they're scrounging around, they can look at you and say, Oh, I might have found something. I might have found something. 
There are people groups in this city everywhere. And we, we, they need someone to step into their culture and take on their culture, but also to tell of the sin and the evil and the war, the stuff that's warring against this place, and also to tell them why they're, why this, why this city needs our help and how we can bring king of principles to this place. All the while, pulling them, dragging, kicking, and screaming to the source of that peace and that joy. That is what a missionary does. A missionary has to be of the city enough to know the culture and be wise about how to communicate light in the darkness. A missionary needs to be aware enough of the sin and darkness in the city that seeks to undermine the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a missionary needs to be motivated to do whatever they can for the good of this city. That's how, it, that's how we live for the nations in this city. We recognize that there are certain people groups that talk a different way. Mine students, you have a different language. Y'all are weird. I don't know how to communicate with you because you're looking for data and facts. And I, I'm like, blah, I don't understand it, right? You need somebody to come into your culture and speak to you in a common way so that you can understand who Jesus is. I work with cops. I'm a, I'm a chaplain of the sheriff's office. Cops, you have a different language, don't you? These guys have this jargon that is all of these weird, like, uh, acrostics and anagrams and pentagrams and all kinds of weird stuff, right? It's just everyone, they they wear a star on their chest, it's fine. Uh, So, uh, right? (laughs) Told you. They have a different culture, they have a different culture, different language. They need somebody to come into their culture and learn the language and communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Homeless people, different language, different culture. We have to be able to communicate, enter into the culture if that's what God's called you to and learn how to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ in those cultures. Cubicle land, different culture. Millennials, different culture. Non-millennials, way different culture. Older than the millennia, way different culture. Right? Okay, sorry. You can, you can sort yourself. I don't even care. But we have, we have this idea, we have to have this idea that God has placed us here and we can see all these cultures and go, you know what, I'm going to enter myself into this culture. I'm going to learn. Vanessa does this beautifully. I'm going to learn their culture. I'm going to learn their language. I'm going to learn who they are just so that I might be able to speak a little bit of truth to them and show them the love of Jesus Christ. That's what a missionary does. That's what a missionary does. This is how we look through what I like to call gospel glasses. We have to see the kingdom around us and see how Jesus can change the fabric of the world around us. We don't just come to church on Sunday mornings to sing praises to God and to, we, we do that. That's great stuff. We come and we worship Him. But worship doesn't stop here. Worship moves with us as we leave this place and we say, I'm going to sing this song of praise in a different culture, in a different language, in my city. I'm going to teach people who Jesus is by singing His praises in these different cultures. So I'm just going to ask you simply this today. As you look at your life, what are the cultures that are surrounding you? Who are you? Are you of this city? Are you against this city? Are you for this city? Or can you see the nations in this city? Who are you as a person and how can you take the gospel? How can you see the world with gospel glasses, have a love for a nation and go communicate the good news of Jesus Christ to them? And then the next question is simply this. How can I help you do that? I will pray for you first. We will sing. We'll fill you up with some praises. And then I'm going to kick you out of here.
And that's not just kick you out of here to come back next week. I'm going to boot you out of here and tell you, go and do this. Ask God to show you. That guy at the beginning of the video just crushes me. Like, Ask God to give you a love for a people here. And then follow that. Follow that. If God's placed a love for a people here, follow that. Walk in step with that. Go find out what He's got for you in that. And then the other thing is this. Don't throw down judgment on everybody else who doesn't have the same passion that you do. Develop that passion and walk forward. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you asking that you would um, give us, grant us a love for people. Lord, I pray that you would grant us a love for people in this city. And that as we somehow, because of the power of your Spirit, as we grow in a love for people, whether it's people like us or people not so like us, Lord, I pray that we would do whatever it takes to go to these people, to communicate to them Jesus Christ, and tell them about the good news of the kingdom that is not only coming, but is already here. Lord, I pray that you would raise us up as missionaries to speak your truth to people who are far from you, so that as they seek you, they may find you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.